Watch out, Doc. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case loving you. Do you have questions or need advice for all the aches and pains in your life? We're here to help. This is Doc Talk with Hans Olsen, presented by University of Utah Health on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. They call it one of the best hours on sports radio. And when I say they, I, I think I mean mostly me and maybe Dr. Gee. Yeah, right. <laughs> but this is awesome, man. I love Doc Talk. So many years we've put into this. And if you haven't heard of Doc Talk, we get in some of these great physicians from the University of Utah Health, and they give of their time to come into studio, and we talk a lot about sports health, and we talk about some athletes and injuries, and we might go over some local stuff here in the state that's going on with, with injuries to our athletes. But more than anything, we open up our phone lines to you, and I know everybody out there has something nagging or some type of issue or their kid has some type of issue. And sometimes you don't have time to go into the to the to the hospital or, or go visit a physician. And this is a, a opportunity on your drive home while you're sitting in your car to grab your phone and call in and talk to a board certified physician and not just a board certified physician. But Dr. Chris Gee is one of the best in the business and so we're honored to have him behind the mic but you get an opportunity to ask uh for some medical advice right here on air without getting out a an insurance card or sitting in a waiting room or or doing any of those things so 855-340-9663 that's the numbers to call it's 855-340-9663 to jump on the phone and talk with Dr. Gee about any of the uh, possible medical issues that you're dealing with. And, and Dr. Gee, I know we kind of run the gambit, but uh, kind of let people know where your specialty is. What do you specialize in? So that's a great question. Yeah, I, I specialize now in primary care sports medicine. And so basically I do any kind of injury without uh, orthopedic or musculoskeletal injury that doesn't require surgery. So we work a lot with athletes that are trying to get back from injuries. Um, You know, I see a lot of broken bones, sprain strains, um, head injuries as well. So it's kind of a... uh, Anything and everything, uh, pretty much. Did you happen to see the picture of Joel Embiid's finger? I didn't see the picture, actually. Somebody was telling me about it as I was coming in, and so Ooh, doesn't man. sound too fun. Try, <laughs> trying to find a picture for you right now. It is. Yeah. It's one of the more severe. It's one of the more severe jam slash dislocations. Yeah. And I'm just trying to find some information on it. Um. He saw a specialist. It's been determined that he tore his radial collateral ligament in the fourth metatar- uh, metacarpal in his left hand. Yeah. He had surgery, or he's going to have surgery tomorrow, and they're going to reevaluate it in one to two weeks. For those of the, you that didn't see it, I believe it was his ring finger, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So it's his ring finger. It's about a 90-degree yeah. uh, dislocation. And based off of some of the information I just gave you, how invasive is that and and how long is recovery on a dislocation like that? Yeah, you know, those can be, those can take some time to get better. Um, Luckily in the hand, it's not too deep that you have to get in there, but uh, he would definitely have to have that repair to give it some good stability. And he'll probably be down for a number of weeks to try to get 
the wound to heal and then allow him to kind of get some recovery. Um, he'll probably be splinted for a long period of time and then kind of gradually work his way back in. Is that is that something that will be, um, how do you say it? Is that something that creates a more repetitive issue? Can it dislocate easier after the surgery? You know, it's always possible to dislocate because you've done it once. Um, usually they're able to repair it fairly well and get that ligament together. Part of it depends on how shredded that, pieces and how much uh, kind of reconstruction they'd have to do. But yeah, hopefully it'll be stable and, you know, kind of one of those things that uh, won't have to deal with again. How common is it? You know, I, I, I know I've dealt, I think I've dislocated thumbs probably three times and probably two other fingers in a 20 year career, but how common is it for a physician on a on a sports team? Like let's say you're working with the University of Utah football team, yeah, or the, or even the Jazz basketball team. How common is the? You see it pretty often, you know. I mean, you think about sports like basketball and football, and you're using your hands so much, and there's so much force involved that people can get fingers pulled and turned and 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 dislocated. Um, most of the time, I find that most of them grab it and put it back in right before we even get to see it, you know, which is good. You want to get it back in, but. Um, yeah, it's a pretty common injury and something we're always trying to to work on. So that's what I wanted to get into with you a little bit before we jump out of the callers. And then, again, 855-340-9663 to jump on the phone. And any medical questions you've got for Dr. Gee, we'd love to take them and see if we could get you pointed in the right direction. But what is the rule of thumb for resetting a dislocation yourself or having someone in the field set it for you? Yeah, you know, that's always a complicated question because you don't want to do more damage to that joint and you don't want to break it um, or cause more problems to it. So in, in general, I do recommend people, you know, have have a doctor or somebody who's experienced do it. Uh, do it. That said, there's often people that, you know, are in backwoods um, environments that, you know, have to kind of get things treated a little more quickly and, and do things on their own. Um, but for the most part, it's, it's good to have uh, somebody to do it in a controlled setting and make sure that it's done right and that not more injury is done to the joint. So, okay, so what's more important, that it gets back in place quickly or that it gets, that it gets back in place? Yeah, that's kind of a double-edged sword because if the longer it stays out, the more unstable that can be. You know, the more kind of stretching on the tissues and the more unstable it can be. And so you want to get it in, but within, yeah, I mean, I'm talking more with, you know, if you're getting an, uh, to a doctor within a few hours or something like that, that's fine. Um, obviously, the, the pain is so significant that a lot of people just kind of pull on a finger and kind of get it back in. But right. when you get to something more like a, like an elbow or a, 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 a shoulder, it's a little more complicated about how to get that in. And that's that's where, you know, you just need to get in and get somebody that knows how to do it. I've heard that the elbow, is that the most painful dislocation or is it a hip? Um, I would think a hip would be pretty painful just because of the musculature involved. Um, but any any dislocation, really, it is so painful. And, you know, I worked in a ski clinic for a number of years, and we had a lot of people come in that had uh, shoulder dislocations pretty commonly. And they were in so much pain, and we told them we were going to pull it just put it back in. And they, you know, at first were, were surprised that we were just going to do that. Um, but honestly, once you do it and they get it back in, they feel so much better. Um, so really, that's uh, once that joint is back in place, it, it really resolves the pain and they do well. Uh, what is, uh, if, so, and I think I've talked to you about this in the past, I, I've got a family member that dislocated a kneecap. Mm. Uh, yeah. the, the kneecap actually moved out of position. Are there certain joints that you just don't want to touch 
And and if so, which joints would those be? And I'm talking about if they, if you if somebody did have that dislocation occur. Yeah. So you know, with a kneecap, almost. For most people, if you just straighten out the leg, that kneecap's going to come back in. They probably still need to be um, evaluated. But it's the bigger joints that I would worry more about and be careful with, things like a shoulder or a hip or a wrist or an ankle where there's more involved in the joint and there's a more injur- or more risk for neurovascular type of injuries. Uh, most people, they'll grab on their finger and dislo- or reduce it, um, and it kind of goes back relatively quickly. Um, there's always some risk of there being other soft tissues stuck in the way that it won't go back easily. And how often does it require? Like, what what are the what are the what's the extent of a, of a dislocation that does require surgery? Um. So the the one that you know would definitely require. Well, there's a couple that would definitely require something as far as the peripheral kind of skeleton would go. Um. If it's a <clears throat> a knee, uh, not the dis- not the knee cap, but the actual knee joint. Oftentimes, that stretches the the vessels and and the nerve behind the joint, and that can be significantly unstable and cause problems with the vessels. And so, you have to be really careful with that. Um, those may often need to be observed in the hospital if not need surgery. Um, some shoulders, if they've been repeatedly going out, need to be stabilized. Sometimes an elbow. It just depends on what all is torn there. Uh, and definitely if it was a hip, there's probably some significant damage there that probably needs to be uh, stabilized surgically. You're listening to Doc Talk here on 97.5, 12 to the zone, just having a great time going through the evening. If you're in your vehicle and you're dealing with any medical condition uh, or you've got a kid that's dealing with a medical condition, maybe you've got a recurring pain or an issue that you've been in and, and had treatment but can't get it fixed, or maybe you've been recently in a car accident or in a sledding or skiing accident. That's what we're here for, and that's what Doc Talk's about. Really, it's taking your calls, and, and it's helping our listeners out to see if we can get you back on the road to recovery. I know that injuries can take us right out of our normal lifestyles, completely disrupt us from our our physical activities that keep us in shape. And and it's sad, Dr. Gee, but I've seen it so many times where injury and, you know, severe injury and repetitive injury takes a very healthy person and can make them sedentary and and take them into complete dishealth very quickly. Yeah, it's amazing. You look at people that, you know, have a back injury or, or some other bad injury that, Maybe maybe they have to go on pain medication, and that changes them, and there's addiction potentials there, or, or even surgeries can knock somebody down enough. And I, I run into a number of patients that are trying to get back from a bad injury, and over the years they've gained weight, and they, they can't be active, and, and they're just looking to get back to that state of health where they were. So, yeah, recovering appropriately from those injuries is always really imperative and really important. And, uh, you know, we want to get them back on that healthy path and healthy track so that they can continue to to stay healthy. So if you're interested, if you've got an issue, if you've got a question in regards to your health, 855-340-9663. It's easy. Just give us a call, 855-340-9663. We'll throw you on with Dr. Chris Gee. Um, I know I I always try to stay away from kind of the, the dark side of medical the medical practice and, and issues and, and you brought it up and I, I do want to sure. just talk about it for just a second because it, it it's, I'm very curious about it. And if you're uncomfortable with it, go, just tell me, we can move on. How are we on the opioid front? How are we in, 
in prescribing in in an attempt to um, detour pain and get people back to work? How are we progressing? I think we're progressing, but it's such a huge problem that you know it, it's going to take years, I think, to kind of get it fully corrected. Um, you know, it was definitely earlier in my career, it, a lot of people just kind of would prescribe medications for pain over over a lot of little things and um, stuff that they probably didn't need. And, and unfortunately, there's good research that shows that once you take one dose of, of some kind of a pain medication, you actually have a, a huge uh, risk for addiction down the road. One dose. Yeah, as little as one dose. And so it it, it's definitely a huge problem, and you know we we as physicians and as a medical community have tried to kind of reverse that, and we've tried to be a lot more careful about prescribing practices. And um, I think you see a lot of these uh, advertising programs about uh, you know the danger of opiates, and I, I think those are really helpful, you know, to kind of get the public aware of of what we're trying to do and what we're trying to protect them from. So in your years of practice now, you've seen adjustments in the medical field. Oh, for sure. Do you guys, do you have classes? Are there awareness programs that that physicians go through to understand how to deal with their clients and potential addiction risk? Yeah, for sure. They, uh, the, the licensing board basically requires physicians or other practitioners to do so many hours per year of training in and about uh, opiates or other other pain medication uh, prescribing. And so, um, you know, you go through that training and it gives you information about how those drugs work and, and what kind of risk factors patients may have that may become addicted and how to kind of more appropriately work them up and give them resources. So, um, as a community, I think we're doing a good job with that, um, but it, it's still tough. You know, there's uh, there's a lot of you know there's a lot of painful conditions out there, and we're not always sure the best way to treat them. Um, but we're we're making headway, I think. Well, it's extremely tough. I, I've got family members that have dealt with it, former teammates that oh, have totally. dealt with it, and you've got pain that just doesn't go away. Yeah. And when you're talking about pain through the 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 spinal structure or the spinal column. You know, there's heavy duty surgeries and and risks that go along with it, and so guys just try to mask it. Yeah. You know, the the general population will try to mask it, for sure, in, in an effort to to steer away from those surgeries. What is your suggestion to somebody that is dealing with sustained pain and has been masking it with possibly opioids? Yeah, so there are a number of good programs to try to get people out of out of those conditions and those pain. Um, you know, they're trying to look at, you know, whether or not that's different medicines to help them wean off of that. Uh, one thing that I will always try to suggest to people is being a little more active. You know, I know that's always difficult, um, but there's good evidence to say that exercise can in, in improve endorphins and help you feel better emotionally, physically. And uh, even if it's something that's, you know, just getting out and walking your dog, that can actually help a lot with some of these chronic pain conditions. It helps you emotionally, helps you physically. So, you know, you worry about the risks of it and the, the longstanding risks of opioid use. And you, you can see it wear on an individual so quickly. And if, I'm sure most people out there, I'm sure, have dealt with somebody that's had some form of addiction to prescription pills. And, and hopefully if you're out there and you're listening and you do have any of these issues, you can get help and, and get away from it. Because the longer you stay on it, 
the the more chance you have of kind of deteriorating your health, your overall health. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I used to work for a number of years in the emergency department, and that's really kind of the front line where you see a lot of these addictions, kind of the end end result of a lot of these addictions. And um, it's really tragic to see some of the way that people's lives have, have gone downhill from a simple injury, you know, that uh, maybe they got uh, on something they shouldn't have. But but, uh, you know, we as a profession are trying to correct that and trying to make, uh, you know, not only treat patients' pain appropriately, but, but treat it uh, such that they're, they're not going to have addictions and problems mm-hmm. down the road. 855-340-9663 to jump on with Dr. Gee here on Doc Talk. Again, that's 855-340-9663. Do you have a medical issue? Do you have pain? Do you have a problem? Uh, do your, does your kid have a problem? This is an opportunity to call in and get advice from a, a physician. 855-340-9663. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back to your phone calls. That's all coming up next on Doc Talk. Listening to Doc Talk, presented by University of Utah Health on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Absolutely love having Dr. Chris Gee in studio with us. He does a fantastic job. 855 340 9663. We've got lines filled up. We'll get out to a couple calls, but I wanted to get into a conversation with Dr. Gee about child obesity. Um, childhood obesity seems to be. Uh, a real threat to our nation right now and, and a real issue. And I, I wanted to get some advice from Dr. Gee in regards to uh, younger children that are obese and, and how you can help them as parents and as uh, how we can help them as a community and possibly just get some advice out there to everybody. So hopefully we can get into that conversation here in a little bit. But I wanted to jump out and give the callers an opportunity with Dr. Gee. We'll start with Lloyd. Lloyd, you're up first with Dr. Gee. Go ahead. Yeah, Dr. Gee, a uh, question for you on arthritis uh, of older athletes, particularly in the hands. Uh, my mother had uh, pretty significant arthritis uh, from about 70 through 91 and uh, years of age. And I'm beginning to experience some of them. I play tennis almost daily, mon- uh, spring, summer, fall, and then, uh, then golf. Uh, interspersed you're just on my way back from mesquite right now from a golf round and uh and i'll get that i'll get pain and stiffness the next day and can't interlock my two little fingers anymore i'm using a baseball grip to to avoid some of that what are they doing in that area now do you have any experience with that yeah that's a that's a tough issue and it sounds like you have a, a strong kind of genetic component with that um you know, definitely one of the things I always try to advise people with arthritis is, is not to stop moving. Um, try to continue to be active. You're going to have to find ways, like you mentioned, you're going to have to adjust your grip or adjust kind of time and duration that you do things. But that's actually the movement, uh, keeping the muscles active is what's been shown to be the most helpful for that. Um, you know, if it becomes a particular joint, you know, like your thumb joint or something like that, then there's sometimes there are injections or other um, even surgical interventions with those. But, you know, if it's kind of diffuse through the hand and stiffness, you really want to, as much as you can, stay active, use some anti-inflammatories, try to avoid things that really set it off, and hopefully you just keep keep those joints as healthy as possible. Could I ask another quick question? Sure. 
Um, are they making much progress on uh, meniscus uh, issues in the knee in terms of cushioning or um, they don't regenerate uh, on, on their own, but it, are you doing much with uh, um, trying to help prevent the need for knee replacements? For sure. That's a big focus of kind of what we do and definitely what the university in general does um, is trying to prevent you having to go through with these uh, big knee surgeries. Um, you're exactly right. Unfortunately, the cartilage just continues to wear down. And so what we try to do is prevent that as much as possible with good techniques and good uh, uh, activities, but sometimes, or, or when it does wear down to a certain point, you've kind of got to adjust other things, you know, whether or not you're needing uh, other injections or other therapies to try to stabilize the knee so that it doesn't wear down more. Um, there is a lot of research looking at things like stem cells. Uh, I don't think it's ready for for the majority of people yet, you know, but that's the hope is that we'll figure out what the right combination is that we can make these things regenerate or at least stabilize so that it doesn't continue to wear down. Well, it sounds like keep active is still the, for, for, uh, for knees uh, as well as arthritis kind of things. Is exactly. Thing to do. Yeah, that's the best okay. that you can really focus on. It, it's thank you so much thanks for the call lloyd we appreciate it 855-340-9663 that'll open up a spot if you want to jump on with dr gee but to his question dr gee i know that we've had conversations about this in the past but it does feel down the road whether it's 10 years or 20 years that there will be a medical advancements that will help us to possibly replace or regenerate some of those things. I, I agree. I think there's there's a lot of exciting research in this. So right now, it's more in kind of the animal, um, you know, realm that they're doing some animal research and things like that. But but it used to be, unfortunately, thirty years ago, forty years ago, that you know you'd tear your meniscus and they'd take it out. You know, and now we realize, wow, that probably wasn't a great idea. And so we've been looking at at, at transplanting them. They've, they do transplants on them. They'll do cartilage kind of revision surgeries. And so there's a lot of exciting things there. There's nothing that's uniformly effective on everybody, but uh, there's a, some definitely some good options uh, that we, we, we can offer to patients to control their pain and keep their function. At, at this point, and I know that there's been so many questions about stem cell and those types of things. But at this point, don't you think that it's more responsible to tell people if it sounds too good to be true, then it probably is not true? Exactly. Yeah, I I, uh, I believe in the, the mantra that, you know, if it cures a whole lot of things, it probably isn't really working. You know, it, it's probably uh, uh, not really doing what it says it does. And uh, there's it's hard to say because I've, I've definitely run into patients that have had stem cell injections in, in various joints and they swear by it and they say they feel good. Um, so, you know, you can't say that it doesn't work, but we're just not sure what that right combination is of how have, to do it. And have you had some that have come in that have felt like it had no effect? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've probably seen more of those that come in and say, yeah, I spent a lot of money and it hasn't helped. Because it's expensive. It really is, yeah. Well, I, I feel like, uh, to the detriment of our society, just the general public, I feel like some of these great athletes that have gone out and had these you know, surgical procedures outside of the restrictions of our country, 
have kind of sparked rumor and story about the success of these procedures, and it's just not, we're not there. Yeah, exactly. And and I want people to remember that, you know, a, a guy that goes through those treatments has years of backing in, in great health, has a very physically dominant body, has multiple yes. phys- physicians like Dr. Gee that are, that are backing him in his recovery. It's not just about putting a couple of syringes in an area and being like, oh, it worked. Exactly. Yeah. And you look at like even when they go and they get those injections, they're then going through 24-7 rehab and therapy. They've got you know, ice machines on them at night and they've got people doing massage on them. And yeah, maybe if you could do that as well, you'd have that, that effect, but, uh, it's just not realistic for, for everybody. Yeah. So if it sounds too good to be true, be really careful with it. All right, Dr. Gee, I I wanted to get in this conversation with you a little bit because I think that there's a lot of people out there in their cars driving around that may be dealing with this on a personal level. Maybe they dealt with it when they were younger. Maybe we have a younger audience that's dealing with some of this. But it feels like, and and obviously science is showing, that child obesity is on the rise here in the United States of America. And I was hoping to maybe get some advice from you to those parents or to those kids or to those individuals on how to better themselves, how to help their children or help their nieces and nephews advance from that. Yeah, that's a a huge problem and definitely something that I see quite often. You know, I think back to when I was a kid and there weren't iPads and iPhones and you kind of had to go run out and play. And that has been taken away a lot with some of our advanced technology. And I think in general, younger kids just aren't as active as they were. They will be active in sports and and various things, but just kind of going outside and and getting in the dirt, that doesn't happen quite as often. So I think it's a, a couple fold. You know, we need to encourage the kids to do that, encourage these opportunities to get off devices and to go be more active, but also to uh, kind of exemplify that to them, that they need to see that, hey, I'm I'm trying too. And because um, obesity goes across the board of age, you know, so uh, uh, that's important for us to think about you know, showing our kids that we're trying to, we're going out and walking and being active and trying to do those things as well um, and help them to build some habits of, of some activities. Uh, there's a lot of fun things that you can do as a family. That's a really good one. You know, just going out, take your kids out to the trampoline park or something like that. You know, I was amazed if we did that a month or so ago and how many calories I burned just be, just jumping on that. And my kids had a blast and you just kind of get them active. So there, there's various ways. It doesn't have to necessarily be that you put them into structured sports, but just finding opportunities for them to be active, I think will be really helpful. You know, let's say you've got a, a nine-year-old or a, a 10-year-old that, that's starting to gain weight. Is that a conversation that you sit down with your kid and, and you talk to them about the weight gain? Or I know some parents would be afraid to, for sure. you know, to possibly give their kid a complex. Yeah, for sure. And you, that's always the, the concern. Um, you know, I think... Uh, we're seeing this more and more, and a lot of great pediatricians and primary care doctors are trying to combat this, um, you know, on a, on a personal level with each of their patient, patients. Um, sometimes if that is something that you're really worried about talking with them, the kids can take it better from the doctor to hear the doctor kind of say, hey, 
you know, we're noticing this trend in your weight and we want you to be more active. We want you to try these kind of things. And sometimes that can help the parent. So the parent can just be a little more supportive. It's coming more from the doctor as a health point of view. It's nothing critical or uh, not to be critical of the child, but it's just something that you're looking to build habits and help them be active over time. So what is, you know, if, if, uh, if somebody were to bring their kid in, that's maybe even dealing with um, some severe obesity, you know, mm-hmm. I, th- I think there's some children out there that are dealing with pretty severe weight gain and, and self-image issues. For sure. If, if somebody were to bring their child into a physician, how does that conversation go with that, that youth? Yeah, so a lot of times it's, you know, we're, we're looking at, if they're, if they're a young child, we're trying to look at what their growth curves are, you know, if they, some, some people are just bigger than others and they're genetically going to be bigger, um, but you do have to look at kind of where they are on the growth charts. And when they start getting up to those 90th percentile and above and you start worrying, hey, what's this going to be over the long term? A lot of times what we'll, we'll start the conversation is just saying, hey, you know, you think about that if you gain a couple of pounds now, maybe it's not that much, but if you keep gaining pound a couple pounds a year, year over year over year, you're just really setting yourself up for some problems getting that weight off down the road. Um, and so just trying to build those habits of saying, here's a better way to eat, here's a better way to be active, can s- help reverse those trends and hopefully keep those kids from having some, some long-term health problems. I've got to imagine, obviously, genetics, genetics plays a large Huge role in, yeah. in, in childhood obesity and, and obesity in general would be my guess. Um, and you could probably judge, you know, based off of parents and parents' size or, or family members' size, kind of the, the trajectory of, of a kid. But are there things that you can do in, in, a, in a, I don't know, a genetically predispositioned situation to to try to help a kid or a youth early? For sure. You know, if, if that's something that, you know, you realize as a parent that your family has had issues with that, you know, looking at, well, let me step back. You know, a lot of our society, there's, there's so much easy access to energy-dense foods, you know, protein bars and, and cookies and candies and all sorts of things that it's easy to snack on, it's easy for kids to get into, um, that maybe you're just focusing on providing them different options of eating. You know, you don't have to go to, you know, a strict crazy diet, but you're just, just encouraging better foods for them, better choices. Um, those can go a long ways towards, again, building those habits and then, then working with the kid to try to be active, you know, say, Hey, we want you, you're, you spend so many hours a day in school. What are you doing for your physical health as well and your physical development? And so just looking at those other ways that they can grow and develop and be healthy. You and I were having a conversation in the break, and, you know, there's there are differences in body types. And we talk about childhood obesity, but there's also children out there that are dealing with image issues of being too small, too skinny, too little. For sure. What kind of, what kind of um, I guess, mental help or what kind of advice do you have for parents out there that are dealing with kids that are underweight? Yeah. And this is, a, again, a tough issue. You, you get both sides. And, and as, as everybody knows, you know, being a kid is tough, that, you know, kind of early teenage time. Um, but there are resources for those, for those kids, and we want them to feel comfortable in their skin and realize that a lot of these maturational things are going to change and, and improve as time goes on. Um, 
But, uh, you know, getting them in and, and sometimes talking with a counselor or a friend or, or sometimes there's a school or sometimes that is through a healthcare provider where you can get them some resources and they can realize, hey, I'm not alone in this. There's other kids. Uh, you and I were talking about how the bigger kids are looking at the skinny kids thinking, man, I wish it was them. And the skinny kids are looking at the big kids thinking the same thing. And so just realizing that it, it goes across the board and not everybody you know, feels perfect in their own skin and, and realize that, that, uh, it's gonna, that you can improve it and there's things you can do to, to you know, have a better image of yourself. Is there an age that we should be more aware of our children and, and their development? Like, is there an age where you get to that age and it's, there's either heavy obesity or, or high obesity or, you know, highly underweight or undersized where you should be more concerned? Yeah, you know, more proactive? It, there's definitely, there's not specifically an age uh, because you'll see it in kind of across the board with, with kids. But I do get concerned when kids are kind of hitting that early uh, puberty period and getting into puberty just because there are so many changes going on. They are so at risk for self-image issues that it's just a tough time and they're dealing with a lot of hormonal issues that, you know, if we can talk with them, be open about, you know, body image, be open about ways we can build better healthy habits, I think we can set them up for success down the road. Uh, So trying to be as open as you can with your kids. Um, you know, you may feel like, hey, I've got some pounds to lose, too. And maybe you bring your kids in and say, hey, this is something I want to do. Or or maybe you're on the, the skinny side, you know, and you want to just build up some mass and some strength. And, and just, just seeing, uh, I think, uh, like I said before, having an example to those kids can be really helpful. You talked about not getting too extreme one way or the other. Yeah. Um, you know, do you, would you, would you discourage parents from, taking a diet plan to a 13 or 14 or even 15, 16 year old? Yeah, I think I would, you know, unless it's, unless it's really directed by a dietitian and a, and a trained healthcare provider. It's just that those kids are going through so many changes and so many growth things that if we try to restrict them in some way and say, Hey, you shouldn't take in as much protein or whatever, it, it's going to set them up for problems. And, and uh, I think that's something that in general, you make good, healthy choices about, you know, vegetables and fruits and kind of the, the health, you know, the pyramid kind of food pyramid kind of based choices. And as long as you're doing that, they're going to have those, those uh, healthy habits build down the road. Are our educational systems, because I, I haven't been in them for years and, and maybe, maybe you don't know the exact answers to this, but you, you and I were talking about when we were young and we were mm-hmm. going through school and you had the food group plan and you had the exercise plan and everything was pretty specific. I felt like I really knew nutrition. And I uh, uh, do you know, is, is our educational system doing a good job with our kids? You know, and- I'm not as, as sure with that. I think there are, there's I've seen some programs that do that. Um, I know that the food pyramid has kind of changed a little bit as far as kind of over the years what they recommend. Um, so that, that can be difficult for sure. There are some programs through, you know, uh, some of the community health centers that will, will do some education on, on food. But it's hard. The schools have so many responsibilities to, to add that in as well. It can be a difficult thing to kind of get in on top of all their other skills they have to learn. Do you have any basic suggestions for parents when they're at Costco or, you know, at Smith's and they're, and they're buying these prepackaged items for their kids? Because you know, kids get home from school and they just, yeah. they just want to eat. They need totally, something yeah. in their body. Do you have any suggestions on, you know, 
things to look at on the on the labels or on the boxes to to either give or to not give your kids? Sure, you know, I mean, things that generally things that are less processed are going to be better, you know. So, so looking at instead of having a bag of potato chips, having some fruit and some other snacks out there. I know for, for some of my kids, it was more a matter of just cutting up the fruit. And if the fruit was cut up, they were going to eat it, you know. And, and so finding things that your kids will, will take and that they like, um, you know, it may not be um, – Sometimes the package stuff is, is difficult, but, but looking at, you know, how many of those ingredients can you not pronounce on there? Um, looking at more of the energy-dense foods, you know, that if, if you've got a small little thing that's a couple hundred calories, that's, that's pretty potent, you know, and um, it may have some, some good things in it. But in general, staying to, you know, more fibrous kind of foods, fruits and nuts and vegetables, if you can get them at least to do a few of those, I think you're going you're gonna to have some successes down the road. That's Dr. Chris Gee from the University of Utah Health. We'll come back and we're going to talk to you a little bit about the clinics that we have to offer. Also, we could sneak in maybe a phone call, 855-340-9663. I know that those of you that fell off while we were in conversation, feel free to call in. We'll try to sneak you in, 855-340-9663. If you've got a medical question or maybe you want to continue the conversation on childhood obesity or underweight childhood uh, we'd love to carry on that conversation as well i think it's an important one and and i appreciate your words of wisdom there dr gay i think it's i think it's really important i think a lot of parents out there are dealing with these types of things and i think at times they feel desperate um and sure. and i think at times they they probably feel uh very uneducated on on, yeah. on how to pursue help for their children in, in that situation so Hopefully some of that conversation was was of help to our listeners out there. Come back to your phone calls and, and more here on Doc Talk. You're listening to Doc Talk, presented by University of Utah Health on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to Doc Talk. I want to remind you our next Doc Talk is going to be uh, – January 23rd, and we're going to have Dr. Travis Mack in studio for the first time in a long, maybe <laughs> five years' time. So it'll be fun to have Dr. Mack back in yeah, studio. Yeah, he's a good one. What do we need to be ready for when Dr. Mack comes in? Oh, you know, he's he's a nut, man. Uh, he's the he's the lead doc, uh, one of the two lead docs for the Jazz, and so he does a lot of this high-end kind of sports medicine Um does a lot of work with hips and, and knees, and he and Dr. Steve Aoki are kind of the two guys that do a lot of this femoral acetabular impingement stuff. And so we get a lot of patients that were referred in just to see those two guys. Um, so, yeah, it'll be a good one to kind of ask about uh, if you got any hips or knee kind of issues in your kids or, or yourself. Be good. Well, Dr. Mack is kind of up on a pedestal for me. Like <laughs> he's uh, he's uh, been a go-to guy for me a couple of times. He's a great guy. Yeah. I was talking about that knee dislocation. That was oh, the totally. yeah. first text right out to him before anybody was even contacted. Exactly. And he's so good. So yeah. if you're out there and you're dealing with any, any type of knee situation or any type of joint issue, these are the best physicians you can find at the University of Utah Health, and we're, we're so grateful to have them in our communities. Do you you enjoy what you do? Do you love what you do, Doctor? Yeah, Dean? yeah, it's a lot of fun. I get to meet a lot of fun, interesting people, and and people that want to get better. You know, that's what uh, really struck me when I went into sports medicine was it's not patient, it's not people that are 
just accepting where they're at. They they want to get better and they want to be more healthy and more active. And so that's a lot of fun to work with that population. If you were on the phone lines and waited through my conversation, I apologize for being a little bit selfish, but I, I did want to get in to, to both of those conversations. So I appreciate our listeners and your patience. We'll be a little bit more diligent on the phone lines in a couple of weeks when we have Dr. Mack in studio. So feel free to save some of those questions and join us January 23rd here on 97.5, 12 into the zone. And remember any type of medical issue, I want you to check out the university of Utah health and Dr. Gee, if you don't mind kind of with some parting thoughts, um, our clinic, our walk-in clinic that, that, you guys have assembled and put together has been so successful. It's been great. So helpful to the community. Kind of explain to people what it is. Yeah. So in the afternoon, uh, four to eight, Monday through Thursday, and then noon to six on Friday, we basically have an open walk-in urgent care clinic where if you have any musculoskeletal or injury. We evaluate it. We can get x-rays. And you're seen by the same doctors that are treating all these other sports teams. We all take turns kind of just filling in that role. And uh, it's it's a great clinic. You know, we, we unfortunately were closed down through the holidays and we had a ton of people that wanted to come in and so we were really busy for a number of weeks there uh, but I think we've kind of gotten that backlog but it's a it's a good place to get in and be seen I kind of keep it in the back of my mind where I've got four kids and I've got family yeah, right. members I keep it in the back of my mind 12 to 6 every Friday so yeah. you know if your kid gets injured on a Thursday or maybe a Wednesday and you feel like well, well we'll watch this and if it's not better by Friday then we'll get them into we'll get them into the clinic you can get them in there every single Friday noon to six. It's always on the top of my mind and I want it to be on the top of yours because you can go in and you can be seen by these amazing physicians. The address is 590 with car away, Salt Lake City. That's 590 with car away. Or if you just want to put it in your phone and be ready for any given moment, if you've got kids or maybe you yourself, you're not in the best health and maybe you've strained something and uh, Friday, in fact, tomorrow from noon until six, our physicians are going to be taking a look at uh, different clients that come in and, and um, the people with certain injuries, you can put this phone number in your phone, 801-587-7109, and you can contact that clinic as well. But n- no appointment necessary. This is a walk-in, first-come, first-served situation, and you will be served by the best physicians in the state of Utah. I can guarantee you that. Dr. Git always goes so fast. I, I'm I'm yeah. sorry that I was a little bit selfish with you today. No, I think it was good. We got to talk about some pretty important issues. So appreciate your time. Uh, so grateful to the University of Utah Health and the time that they give us here on, on 97.5, 1280 uh, with their amazing education, their great minds to help us with our health. Join us again on January 23rd for the next Doc Talk. Stay tuned for this, the movie zone coming up next. It was a, a lip or a... a, a best answer i think uh okay with that and uh you know i just know we we're we we're a little shorthand and the, the you know tony they called the charge on tony that was big um you know down i don't know about still a lot of time but um we crawled back and and i don't know i think no one made a good pass someone made a good pass the guy thought he'd rotate over late bang bang call home you like to get those you, you like to think you get those and usually usually the refs like to they like to end one of them <laughs> hey but uh came in with a charge and but they're pretty consistent we got a lot of charges too so i can't come i mean i think i think the ref wasn't the officiating at all but that just that call for us at home would have been and uh i don't even think we hung our head we just they're they're pretty good